to my soul. You got to me. You got control. You got to me. You got to me. You got to be mine. Neil Diamond's You Got to Me, and this is podcast 336, entitled Death Star Portal. By the way, at some point, go on YouTube and find the video of the Dick Clark's American Bandstand show from the um, sort of like 1967, something like that, in which he presides, uh, Dick Clark presides over a dance contest of couples singing, you got to, singing, what I should say, dancing to You Got to Me. And it's such a picture of a time. And it's also very cool because they dance very well and they're really young. But that's um, You Got to Me. And what I want to talk about today is the extraordinary um, way that um, the thing that is most important, the thing that God most powerfully would wish to heal us of, transform us within, or give us hope to live beside, is very seldom brought to God. I mean, you see this always in sort of um, inductive Bible studies when you have prayers in sort of evangelical circles at the end. And historically, we were in groups for years and years and years when people would always pray for not the most important thing. I mean, like the ninth least, the, the, the least important thing going on in their life. And th- th- it was such a breakthrough when a person would actually pray about what was really on their heart. And that's what it was all about, to get to the Death Star portal. Remember in Star Wars, the Luke Skywalker is attempting to lead his fleet of fighters to um, to attack uh, the uh, evil empire's um, great Death Star, and uh, he has to find a tiny, tiny little opening and portal in the midst of a mammoth um, mechanical iron steel <clears throat> cover of this huge, basically, satellite planet, and he has to find this tiny little opening and then shoot his rocket in there, <clears throat> and um, if it gets in, the whole thing will be destroyed. Everything will be changed if he can get in there. And he needs uh, Darth Vader and Luke 
the force. Use the force. Well, God leads him to the place, and that's what this is about. I want this little cast to be uh, used by the force to uh, help you. You know what, in fact, the portal is. You may not even consciously know it, but you probably consciously know it. The biggest problem in my life is. The biggest weakness that I have is. The biggest recurring nightmare I have is. The biggest stress I have can be can be traced to this. And yet it's amazing how strong one's resistance is to, um, to opening up that portal or to letting that portal be made accessible to the power of, uh, of the gospel love, the imputing love of, of Christ. Now, let me give you some examples. Recently, I saw for like about the ninth time, but I saw a really good print of it, Blu-ray actually, of Une Chambre en Ville, a movie from 19... I want to say, 82, uh, by Jacques Demy, the wonderful French director of many musical and other movies that are so powerful and uplifting. And this is his darker one, but in Une Chambre Ville, also called A Room in Town, and you can see it easily. You can pick, you can see it. Um, you can, it, it, Criterion has a disc that's very, very good, a Blu-ray and a regular DVD of it, and there are other ways to get the movie. It's really good. But it's about a guy who's <clears throat> leading the charge of a labor action in the city of Nantes in France in the early 50s, 55. And uh, he's a social activist. He's a social justice warrior, but he's right in the front lines of a huge strike, and there's a possibility of real violence in the strike. And his entire 35-year-old persona is rooted in uh, leading and being one of the main organizers and principal theorizers of this uh, communist strike. He is a communist. He admits that. And um, concedes that. And uh, <clears throat> about uh, two-thirds of the way through the movie, he meets somebody. He meets a beguiling lady woman who's actually a married lady and who ties into the story in other ways and he's entirely swept off his feet by her he develops a connection with her in about five minutes literally maybe three minutes which is lifelong shattering and overwhelming <clears throat> and he instinctively realizes that everything else he was interested in was secondary compared to this and he's sitting in a very poignant scene with his best friend who's a sweetheart and they're talking in a not a bar and he says, I, I don't know what to say. I have to tell you what something amazing has happened. Something incroyable has happened. I've met this, this woman, and all I want is to be with her. And the fellow says, well, what about the strike? We're just about to go into action again today, this, tomorrow. This is an extremely important, decisive time in the strike. And he says, to the riot that we're going to probably be a part of. And he says, I, I, I know, I know, but I, I spent all my life uh, following justice, justice, what I believed was justice. But compared to this, all I really want is to be with a lady, with this woman. Her name is Edith, but in French, French that's pronounced Edith. So at a time at the end of the movie when he's in extreme, a situation of extreme duress, she's there and he holds her hand and looks at her, but he's in extreme duress and he's been wounded in a, a, a labor action and severely wounded and he looks at her and he says, Edith, ma vie. And then he repeats that, Edith, ma vie. Now, Edith, my life. Edith, you are my life. Everything that he thought was primary has become secondary in the face of this. In other words, Edith has uh, found inadvertently, you might say, but actually the portal to the Death Star that was surrounding his being. And uh, she shot her, uh, unknowingly almost, she shot her uh, rocket into the portal. And uh, his entire life has been blown up 
in favor of that which is most important, his connection with another human being that has a positively metaphysical, spiritual feel to it. What an amazing thing. Well, I'll give you uh, one other example. I was talking to wonderful Paula White, and I uh, was telling her something, and she said something to me, and I thought, you know, I've never ever in a million years imagined that what she has just said to me would apply to what I've said to her. In other words, whatever I said to her could only be ministered to by what she said to me. But in my entire 70 years plus, almost 71 now, I could not, I had never applied in whatever number of five or six years this thing was in the church, et cetera, et cetera, wounds. <clears throat> I had never, ever, you know, now Frank Lake wrote a brilliant essay in the, the um, mid-70s, you remember it, Dr. Frank Lake, and get it, it's one of the great, great pieces of late 20th century religious literature, and it's an essay by the great psychoanalyst himself, Dr. Frank Lake, and he said, uh, the title of it is The Presence of Christ in the Healing of Primal Pain. I mean, I knew Frank Lake really well. Mary and I knew Frank really well. And here, uh, he, he, he broke through the presence of Christ in the healing of primal pain. And yet, I'd never actually applied that to the Death Star portal in my own experience. Never. It never occurred to me to apply what I know really well and have, have tr sought to apply to with many others, even in birth trauma reenactments, etc., six-hour therapy sessions that I've tried, presided over and worked with a team on and seen great fruit in people. I had never once applied the presence of Christ in the healing of uh, the pain that I was speaking about. It blew me away. Um, it was funny, the other day I was doing a new playlist for my um, iPod, or whatever it is, my iPhone. Aren't you, isn't it ridiculous? I mean, um, I do a new playlist about every single day from my iTunes uh, songs. A new playlist of songs that somehow speak to me, or somehow feed me, or somehow resonate with me in my particular emotional state on a given day. And every day it's different. I mean, every day it's a new playlist. Every day, I mean, some of the songs stay the same, like Reeling in the Years, which I associate with my earliest and just so happy times with Mary. Reeling in the Years by Steely Dan, or... or uh, um, Smoke on the water. <laughs> the other day I found Tokyo, My Woman from Tokyo by Deep Purple, and it reminded me of the same period in my life, and I had to put it on. But, I mean, are you like this? Do you do Spotify playlists? I mean, it's the most ridiculous. Guys do it. Girls don't. They like the music, but they don't do the Spotify playlists. But anyway, so I'm listening to this song that I have by Chairman of the Board, Chairman of the Board, whose lead singer was a brilliant, we called it Carolina Beach Music, Carolina Beach Music singer named General Johnson, and the song is Give Me Just a Little More Time. And um, I remembered listening to it uh, while going down in the summer, of one of my college summers, listening to uh, the song and uh, going down to work for the Democratic Congresswoman that I worked with for a while. And um, the song was it was number one in the country. It was playing all the time, but I never once applied it to myself. I mean, now when I listen to "Give Me Just a Little More Time," I uh, I, I see how why didn't I apply that to uh, the sort of the end of a lousy semester? I mean, I'd had a lousy semester. I was really ugh, you know. I didn't really want to go back to college. I was uh, much rather stay, and I was actually offered the position full time to work with uh, the congresswoman, but. Um, I needed more time to take it in, but would I have ever applied that song to the Death Star portal, my resistance to going to college again? Um, 
no, not in a million years. And I saw it so clearly while listening to the song while doing my 8,000 trillionth Spotify playlist. Well, I just wanted to give you one idea. You know, I told you that the problem with the sermons that I hear, with the exception of Paula White's, they're wonderful sermons. I hear excellent sermons. They're orthodox sermons. I don't, almost all the sermons I hear are orthodox and, and with a strong gospel content. They're wonderful, but it's very, very hard uh, for preachers to, um, to, they preach too long. Almost every sermon ends, and then it starts again. Almost every sermon is wonderful, and then the person has done preparation for a third point, and he's, his desire and need to get the third point in overcomes his discretion, and we have a third point, which is completely unnecessary, and we've forgotten the second point. My point is short sermons. What you might consider doing is preach, um, preach uh, max 15 minutes, maybe 14. Never go over for about six months, and then go eight, to go to 18, and finally go to about 19, but don't go much longer. Now, Paula can preach for two hours, and you say to yourself, I wish this were longer, but that's because she's sort of, she's looking for a word from God in the actual moment of the communication with her congregation. She is actually seeking to hear what God is saying in the moment. And so you're, you're, you're here in a kind of Delphic oracle. You're waiting for God to speak, and he very often does, but not where, you, where it was going. It, it's not necessarily um, linear. Um, but with most of us, keep it slow. So I'm making a short podcast today. You heard what I said. We've all got a Death Star portal. You've got yours. I've got mine. It changes. I mean, the Death Star portal today may be different from the one it was 15 years ago or six months ago, but you got one. And you haven't even begun to think that the Word of God, the presence of Christ and the healing of primal pain could be, in fact, the rocket that gets through and relativizes everything else, and in doing so gives you a powerful fresh start that is unbelievable. Well, we're going to hear a little bit more of our friend, and uh, I commit this to you and to God in hopes that, uh, that the rocket will find its landing pad. All love. You got to me. You got control. 
You got to me, you got to be mine 